Good morning, Golden Corner Church, and good morning to those of you who are visiting with us. Prior to the first service, I had a gentleman take me by the hand and say, thank you for being my pastor. And I'll be honest with you, I felt like that needed to be reversed, and I need to look at you guys this morning and tell you thanks for letting me be your pastor. It is a great, great privilege for me to serve as the pastor of Golden Corner Church. I noticed this morning that all the front pews are empty, so I guess that means that I can spit at will and not have to worry about hitting anybody. And I may do a little spitting, by the way. This is going to kind of share what I felt like was a dark sermon, I I guess, in some ways. And you like it when you've got an encouraging word and you've got some funny stories to tell and you get all jacked up and excited and then you come along and God gives you a sermon and you look at it and go, oh, me. And, uh, but that's going to be one of those. Uh, the title of my sermon this morning is, When We Say No to God. Over the past three Sundays, we learned that sometimes God doesn't want us to do anything but just sit there and visit with Him. That there are times in our life, there are times over the course of our week, maybe a little bit of time every day, where God just wants us to call a time out, do nothing but sit there and visit with me. We're coming to understand that our relationship with God is of utmost importance to Him. He knows us well. And He wants us to know Him well. So we have decided that we're going to visit with God and visit with Him often, haven't we? Okay, now, haven't we? Okay, good, good, that makes me feel better. However, there are also times when God wants us to get up and do something. You see, God is not only our friend, but He is also our Lord. He is our master, and we are His servants. And as our master, He has the right, and He has the authority to issue commands to us, fully expecting that we're going to follow through with those commands. But what if we don't? What if we say no to God? What could we expect? I want to share a story with you, and and guys, if it's going to feel like we've stepped back into vacation Bible school or or Sunday school, it's a story that we're all very familiar with. It's the story of Jonah, and I want us to start by reading the first four verses from the Old Testament book of Jonah, chapter number one. The Bible says, the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go. Now, didn't I just say there are going to be times where God says, get up and go do something? He said to Jonah, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh, announce my... See, he had a, he had a responsibility to deliver kind of a dark message here, didn't he? Announce my judgment against it, because I've seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went. Now, this blows my mind. So Jonah's been told to get up and go. So he got up and went. But look at this. In the opposite direction. To get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. That was a city in Spain. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping. This is not real bright, but you see in this. Hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. 
He was thinking, if I can put the Mediterranean Sea between me and God, I'll be, I think I'll be safe. Uh, uh, but the Lord, look at verse number 4. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Of course, our story centers around a man named Jonah. Jonah knew the true God and belonged to him. Jonah even worked for him. Jonah was a prophet. Uh, He made his living, I guess you could say, by speaking for God. If God had something he wanted to say to somebody, he would share the message first with Jonah, and then he would tell him, now you go pass this on to them. So one day God gives Jonah a message. And the message was for the citizens of a, a city named Nineveh. Nineveh was a great city, and by that it means it was big. It took three days to walk across town. It also meant there were a lot of people there. If I understand a verse in chapter 4 correctly, it would lead me to believe there were about 120,000 infants and toddlers alone in the city, which means there were probably hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people in the, in the city. It was a capital city, the capital of Assyria. Now, the Assyrians weren't Hebrews. They weren't Jews. They didn't know, belong to, worship, or serve the true God. They were pagans, and they had a host of false gods they worshipped, and they were famous for They had a great reputation for being evil. They were wicked, sinful, cruel people. And so God says to Jonah, I got a message that I want you to take to them. And here's the message. Now, part of the message is revealed in Jonah chapter 3. And the message went something like this. God said, you go tell them that I said they got 40 days to stop their evil or I'm going to eliminate Nineveh. I'll destroy everybody in the city. 40 is a warning. You go issue this warning. You, a Hebrew preacher, are going to go up there and you're going to speak to these pagans. And this is what you're going to tell them. Because here's the deal. He said, I've had it with their behavior. I've had it with their lifestyle. I've had it with their evil. I'm not going to tolerate anymore. This is what you are going to go do. What do you think Jonah did? Jonah said, no, I'm not. I know what you want. I I I know what you want me to say. I know... Who you wanted me to say this to, I got it all, and I have made a decision, I'm not going to do that. No. Now, why would he do that? You know, in chapter number 4, Jonah actually, in a conversation with God, begins to explain himself, and he said, Now, God, you know the reason I said no is because you are a compassionate God, merciful, slow to anger, You don't like to execute judgment on anybody. You would much prefer to forgive. And that's the reason that I said no to you. You're such a good, loving, merciful God. I just felt like I ought to say no. Now, does that make any sense to you? Doesn't make sense to me until you begin to understand something. Jonah knew that the prophet Elijah, excuse me, Isaiah, had already prophesied That one of these days, the Assyrians are going to invade Israel and wreak havoc upon his own people. He knows that that's already been prophesied. So he thinks to himself, I can alter the future. 
If I don't do this, if I refuse to take that warning and God goes through with this, he's going to annihilate the Assyrians and they're never going to come against my people. Well, you think about that. He's not saying no for his own sake. He's saying no for the sake of all of his countrymen and all the succeeding generations of Israelites who would follow after him. He's actually acting as a self-sacrificing patriot in some ways. And that's his reason. I'm going to say no here, God. I've got to, got to say no on this one for the, for the well-being of all my countrymen. So no, I'm not going to do it. And he, he makes a decision that having said no to God, the best thing I can do is probably get out of town. I need to put a little distance between myself and God. Now, he wasn't the brightest bulb in the pack because he thought he could actually run away from God, but he was smart in that he knew he'd best run. And so he puts a few things together, and he takes himself a little journey down to a seaport called Joppa. And there he's looking for a boat headed to Spain, and he found one. He was looking for a boat that was headed to the seaport called Tarshish in Spain. Found it. He was looking for a boat headed to Spain, Tarshish in particular, looking for one that had availability, and he found it. He was looking for one that was affordable, found it too. So he paid the fare, and he got on board, and he set sail across the Mediterranean Sea. From what I gathered, they probably sailed about three days, and everything was really going well, when all of a sudden, what happened? We read verse 4 together. The way this is worded is kind of frightening in a lot of ways. The Lord hurled, think about that, threw this powerful wind down upon the sea, making the sea become violent, producing numerous waves, powerful waves, all of them pounding this boat that Jonah's on over and over again. Now, by the way, Jonah has got on a boat with a group full of pagan sailors. They don't, they don't know, worship, or serve the God of the Hebrews. They're pagans. they got all their own gods. And here these guys are, and all of a sudden they're in the midst of this violent storm that's threatening to destroy their boat. Now, these men do something practical and something spiritual. They came to the conclusion, there's no way we survive this as long as we've got our cargo on board. So they tossed their cargo over. Don't you think about this? That was their livelihood. They lost it. It sank to the bottom of the sea. It's gone, never to be retrieved. What had these men done? They'd done nothing. They were innocent. They just paid a price. So they took this practical step, things to get better, so they took a spiritual step, and all these men began to pray to their gods. And, of course, we know that they were praying to false gods. They were praying to gods that didn't exist. And so you pray to a god that doesn't exist, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I'll tell you what happened. Nothing. The storm did not let up. The storm intensified. Their situation continued to worsen. Well, the captain remembered, we got a passenger on board. So he goes down below in the hold, and there's Jonah. And you know what Jonah was doing? Jonah is lying there, sound. See that spit there? It went sound asleep. <laughs> Jonah's just, he's there taking a nap. Well, the captain woke him up, and he had a question, and he had a request. And the question was this, how can you sleep at a time like this? He knew, we're in trouble, man. This is a serious situation. How can you sleep? I don't see that Jonah ever answered his question. And then he made a request. He said, we've all prayed to our gods and we're getting nowhere. 
dude, would you pray to your God and see if he'll do something for us? I can't find anywhere that Jonah responded to his request and prayed to his God, and I'm going to guess that in his state of mind, he probably didn't. So the captain goes back up, and he meets with the rest of the sailors, and one of them has had an idea, and this is, this is the conclusion he came to. This is not a natural storm. I believe the sailor thought to himself, man, there's something fishy about this storm. Excuse me, no pun intended on that. There's something fishy about this storm. This is weird. He, I, he, this is, this one sailor said, this storm is supernatural in origin. The gods have created this storm. You know, somebody on this ship has wronged the gods, and they're angry at him, and they're hunting him down, and, you know, and they're going to make him pay the price. And in the meantime, the rest looks like the rest of us are going to have to pay the price. So we've got to find out who this dude is. Who's the guilty party? So they decided, let's cast lots. They took a handful of stones and they marked one. They dropped it in a container and shook it up. They invited Jonah up to their little party. And they said, this is the deal. Whoever draws that marked rock out, we're going to consider him to be the guilty, the guilty party. Okay, so they all did it. Well, guess who drew the rock? Jonah. Those men looked at Jonah and they asked him, Who are you, dude? Uh, Where did you come from? What have you done? Jonah said, well, my, you know, I'm Jonah. I belong to the God of the Hebrews. As a matter of fact, I'm one of his prophets. He gave me something to do. I had this message to take to these people. I said, no. I've just refused. I'm not going to do that. And so, uh, <laughs> this is... You know, Jonah, come on, man, I don't know how bright this is. He said, that's, so I'm running from God. That's what he told him. I'm running from the Lord. He's after me. Well, all these sailors, they go nuts. You know, one of them looks at him and says, hey, how could you do this? In other words, how could a man say no to his God? Huh? And, and then they said, and how could you get on our boat? Why would you do this to us? Because when you got on our boat, you got us involved in this. How could you do this to us? He said, what are, we, what are we supposed to do now? You know what Jonah said? I believe he said it with absolutely no emotion whatsoever. You know what he said? Throw me over. Throw me overboard. Now, these must have been some pretty good guys. Because I've got to be honest with you, Burl, the moment he made that suggestion, I'm getting some rope. We're headed to the edge of the boat. He's going to walk the gangplank. He's gone, man. You know what? These guys said, No. We're not going to kill you, but we got to get out of this. So they go below, they all grab an oar, and they're determined through just pure effort, they're going to get that boat back to the shore. Well, their effort failed. You know why it failed? Because the Bible says that moment by moment, that storm intensified and their situation grew worse and worse. And finally, they realized we're not getting out of it through any human effort. So they met back together, and they had another prayer meeting. This time, they chose to pray to Jonah's God. This time, they chose to pray to the right God. This time, they chose to pray to the real God. And this is what they said. God made two requests. Please don't kill us while you're in the process of killing him. That's what they said. Please don't kill us while you're killing him. And then they made a second request. Please don't kill us because we're about to kill him. (laughs) You know what? Please. So they go below and they get Jonah and they walk to the edge of the boat. And man, they toss him over. I believe they watched him fall to that 
ocean like, like a sack of dirt. Splash. He went under. The moment he went under, the wind stopped blowing. I mean, just like that. Sea grew calm. Clouds broke. Blue sky. Sun. Gentle breeze. Feel their sails. Just like that. When these men saw that, they recognized something. Uh, We just talked to the real God. And they got on their knees, and they converted and became worshipers and followers of the true God and made a commitment that they would serve Him for the rest of their lives. And what happened to old Jonah? Well, you read in chapter number 2, it's, kind of a, it's a prayer that Jonah prayed, and you can piece together what happened to him. He sank to the bottom of the sea like a piece of lead. He talks, Tommy, about seaweed wrapping around his head. The waves closed over me. I sank to the roots of the mountains. I mean, he's sinking. Now, here's a man that apparently was not afraid to die. But in his prayer, he says something. When my life was ebbing away, as I neared the land of the dead, he's drowning. I mean, he's really drowning. You're not going to believe what he did just before he died. The Bible said he, re- he remembered God. And he prayed a crazy prayer. He said, God, would you save me? He didn't want to die. He got close enough to death, he recognized, I don't want to die. And he prayed for God to save him. And at that moment, he was caught up in a strong current, and I believe he went spinning like a top. Kind of bottomed out in just this maybe knee-deep pile of sludge and mush, and it was slimy, and I believe he took a deep breath and went, whoa, this stinks, and then realized, oh, but I'm glad that it stinks because it means I can breathe. He had found oxygen, and he realized he wasn't going to die then. I believe he must have been thinking to himself, well, how, what has happened? Have I, did, I, you know, did the current suck me into some little cave on the ocean floor here, on the floor of the Mediterranean? Is that what has happened? And, but the strange thing about it was his little cave was moving. I believe it felt like he was in an elevator. Now you and I know what happened. The Bible says that when Jonah prayed, God save me, God had prearranged that a big fish would be right there so that when he prayed, this fish would swallow him. And he had been swallowed by this fish and he was in its gut. Now, we've always been taught that the fish was some form of God's judgment or some punishment because he refused to do what God said. Oh, no, 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 no. Listen, the storm was the act of judgment and punishment and and being dropped into the sea and, 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 and coming that close to dying by drowning. That was the judgment. You understand the fish was God's merciful means of answering this man's prayer and saving and preserving his life. 
Jonah had three, he spent three days and three nights in that fish. That'll give you a good place for a quiet time, won't it? Kind of sort things out with God and work a few things out. And, and according to chapter 2, that's just exactly what he did. He came to understand that God had answered his prayer. How undeserving he was to have even prayed that prayer, let alone for God to come through for him. He's overcome with emotion. Chapter 2 is absolutely just this time of praise. He is praising God. He is thanking God. You know, he is blown away that God answered his prayer. And, and you know, all of a sudden he begins to recognize, you know, in light of what God has just done for me, uh, you know what I ought to do? And in that belly of that fish, he made a recommitment to God and said, you know what? Anything you want me to do, I'll do. That's the deal. So you know what God did? God spoke to the fish and said, you know where to take him. And the fish took him to the shores, I guess, of Nineveh, Assyria, I'm not sure, close enough that he was within walking distance. And then God told the fish, vomit. And the fish vomited on the beach. And then I can just picture it sliding back out into the water. And there in, a, in this massive heap of fish vomit was the preacher. I just see, man, old Jonah coming out of that pile of puke. And uh, maybe he's trying to wash himself off. And you know, wouldn't you? I believe I would be doing the best I could. I want you to look what happened in chapter 3, verse number 1. He's, oh, Jonah's been through something now, man. He's, he's washing himself off. And it says, Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go. Get up and go. Where? Where I told you to go in the first place. To the great city of Nineveh. And to deliver the message I've given you. I love this line. This time. You see that? This time, Jonah, he said yes. Obeyed. Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. So he gets to Nineveh and here comes this Jewish preacher. And uh, he comes walking in, and all these you know, Gentiles and pagans. And he preaches a very confrontational message. He said, my God, the true God, he says he's sick of your behavior. And here's the deal, 40 days to get right or he's going to drop the hammer to destroy every one of you. Now, how would you think they would respond to that? They believed him. And they humbled themselves. And they prayed with fasting. And they turned from their evil in the hopes that God would spare them. And guess what God did? He forgave every one of them. Can you imagine that? He preached a sermon and everybody in town got saved. Everybody in town was saved. God spared them all. Now, man, there's so much in that to learn. I, we got time for me to share one quick lesson with you. You got it? You ready? Here's the lesson. Saying no to God means saying yes to trouble. You ever wondered, if I say to, no to God on this, what is it going to lead to? Saying no to God means saying yes to trouble. Jonah said no to God, and what happened? Well, at first, nothing happened. But having said no to God, Jonah thought, this might be the time for me to get out of town. Now, I'm not sure how long it took him to make his decision that the answer is no. 
I don't know how long it took him to kind of get his affairs in order and get ready to leave. I do know that he had to travel 60 miles down to Joppa, and under ideal conditions, that probably took him about four days. And it would appear to me that he had sailed on the Mediterranean for at least three days. So we know that, we know that at least a week had passed since he said no. I think there's a, a really strong likelihood that a greater period of time had elapsed since he said no. And I can't help but noticing that God hasn't done anything. That there's been no visible reaction on his part. Why not? Man, here is a lesson about God I want you to get. And I am so thankful for it. And I believe you are too. God is patient. He's even patient with us when we're rebelling against him. How can God be patient with us when we're acting in blatant disobedience against him? God understands our humanness. God understands our predisposition to sin. And God knows that we have this strong, powerful tendency within us to make bad decisions. Therefore, His initial response to our disobedience is to patiently provide us with a period of time when we can listen carefully to His warnings. Reconsider our decision. And repent of our actions. I guess we could say that period of time would be the calm before the storm. At first, everything seemed to be working out great for Jonah. He had a safe trip to Joppa. He was not accosted by marauders. He found a ship headed for Tarshish. The ticket was well within his budget. The first three days were absolutely wonderful. And confident that his plan was working perfectly, he just took a long nap. However, Jonah was about to learn a hard lesson. God's patience has limits. And when we exhaust his patience, he'll create trouble for us. God himself will create trouble for us. Now, I know what what some of you are thinking. Not my God. Then you and Jonah don't share the same God means you might have the wrong God. Because if God would send trouble on the heels of Jonah's disobedience, he'll send trouble on the heels of our disobedience. You know, that's not something I, I like to think about, do you? That's not something that we sit around and talk about as Christians, is it? But it's the truth. I kind of feel like I've been sent here this morning to share a warning. God created a storm. He did. And he placed it right in the path of his runaway prophet. The wind that had been a blessing now made progress absolutely impossible. The placid seas turned violet and the pleasure cruise turned into an absolute nightmare. What can we learn from this? God's patience will eventually run out and he will react to our disobedience. Divine assistance at some point will turn into divine resistance. Smooth sailing will be replaced with turbulence. The path that we have chosen instead of the 
You know, sticking with God's path will lead us into a world of trouble. You say, Ronnie, why? Why would God do this? Uh, He'll do this to get our attention. The trouble is his way. It's kind of like his red light flashing going, this is not the right way. And this is not the way that you want to continue. He does it to get our attention. He does it to get us to hopefully change our minds about the decision we've made and correct our course. But what if we ignore him? What what if in spite of his attempts, we go, I don't care. The answer is still no. God will send more trouble. Things will become more difficult, more frightening, more costly. Until it eventually begins to spill over on those closest to us. You say, he wouldn't. Yeah, he would. These sailors, what had they done? They hadn't done a doggone thing. What it cost them? It cost them a lot. You you know why the storm came on them? Because the storm came on Jonah and Jonah was near them. I think about if if Jonah had insisted and said, I'm not, you drown me, kill me, I'm not preaching this message. I wonder how it would have impacted Nineveh. Would hundreds of thousands of people, maybe a million people, have paid for this man's disobedience? Would he have brought trouble on them by not doing what God said? I want you to understand something. When the trouble comes, you get enough time, it begins to spread like kudzu and affect the people around you, the people nearest you. You say, Ronnie, how far would God go with this? Well, as I look at Jonah bouncing around on the bottom of the sea like a piece of lead split shot, I'd say God would take it just about as far as he needs to take it. I want to promise you something. There ain't a contemporary church in the state of South Carolina this morning hearing this sermon. Because this is a side of God that we have decided not to think about and not to talk about. But according to this book, it's a side of the God That we have pledged ourselves to. I really believe. And I know this. And you know this. The Bible teaches that we are to fear God. You know what that means? A respectful. Reverential. Fear. The way that we feared perhaps our father. Our father loved us. We loved our father. But we knew there was a line we didn't cross. And I think in this generation. That line has become blurred. And we've lost sight of the fact that he's not only our heavenly father, he's our master and he's our Lord. And he expects us to do what he tells us to do. And when we say no to him, we're saying yes to trouble that will ensue. So here's what I'm recommending, guys. I think think it's just as simple as this. Always say yes to God. Always say yes to God. Now, if if you've come here today and you're on the verge of saying no to God about something, I believe there are a couple of things Jonah would really want you to know. First, God does not accept excuses for disobedience. Now, when you heard Jonah's excuse, if I I disobey God, I think my countrymen are going to be spared. I mean, for generations. That sounds pretty good to me, doesn't it, you? I'm buying in on that. I'm saying, yeah, that's that's noble that you'd be willing to sacrifice yourself for all those people. What did God think about that excuse? 
He wasn't real impressed with it. And here's what I'm betting. If God didn't take his excuse for disobedience, I don't think he's going to take any of ours. So why don't we just say yes to God? I think the second thing Jonah would want us to know is that you can't outrun God. You can't run from God. You can't run fast enough or far enough to escape the trouble that will follow on the heels of disobedience. So, why don't we just always say yes to God? Now, I hadn't, I hadn't prepared to say, when I came this morning, I hadn't prepared to say what I'm about to say. I thought, I mean, you can see in my notes, that's, that's where I ended it. But before the first service, I felt God said something to me. I knew that this message was primarily intended to be preventative in nature. And boy, my prayer has been, God, help us to stay off this road. Help us, you know, help us to, to, to get this so that we don't find ourselves in the position Jonah was in. But this question came this morning, Ronnie, what if somebody's already there? What if there's a Jonah sitting in the church? And they listen to this story and they're sitting there thinking, that's my story. I, I remember the time, the place, I remember what God wanted me to do, and I just said an absolute no to him. And I can testify, Ronnie, yes, trouble has followed on the heels of that decision. Ronnie, I'm living that story. Is there any hope for me? Yeah, you're doggone right, there's some hope for you. The minute Jonah turned back to God, what did God do? He forgave him and delivered him. You see, our God is the God of another chance. You say, well, I've already done this, you know, 40, 50 times. I know. That's why I didn't say God is the God of a second chance. He's the God of another chance. Maybe you're here today not as a preventative measure, but to help you get off this road and get out of this trouble. And maybe what you need to do is recognize that you've got to make this thing right with God and make yourself available to Him. And this time you need to say, yes. Let's pray together. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. I want to talk, first of all, to someone who's sitting here and God has been telling you to do something. Or He's been telling you to stop something. It's a command. It's clear. You got it. But your intention has been not to cooperate with Him on this one. The conclusion you've reached is you're just going to have to say no. That's too much to ask of me. That's too frightening, too costly, too risky. I just got to say no on this one, God. Here's what I want you to do. Please reconsider that. I don't know what excuse you've come up with. It may be a, it may be a gym dandy. I don't know. But you understand, it's going to hold no water with God. If it's what He wants you to do, it's something you need to do. Please reconsider that. And I want you to say yes to God. If you're sitting here and you have said no, man, you're starting to feel the winds of resistance. You're beginning to see the troubles surround you. Maybe you're starting to see trouble leak from your life over and spill over onto the lives of those closest to you. Uh, you don't want to go any further. I, 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 I encourage you. You don't want to go any further. God doesn't want you to go any further. He's a God who wants to forgive and bless instead of executing any kind of judgment or penalty or 
punishment. He doesn't want to do that. And that's one of the reasons I believe that you're in this church service and I'm preaching this message. Is he doesn't want you to go any further. He wants you to take an exit this morning. So why don't you pray a prayer kind of like this. God, I'm sorry. I got kind of confused. I lost sight of the fact that you're the master and I'm the servant. God, I don't have the right to negotiate and pick and choose what I do or don't do. The truth is, you want me to do something. I know what it is. God, I'm going to do it. Let this be a, a, a time of new beginning for me, God. I pray that as you're willing, the storm will break in my life. And that you'll help me please you by doing exactly Jesus, I ask this, God. Amen. Now, here's what we're going to do. Uh, always say yes to God. Whatever sir comes up this week, you say yes to Him. Do what He tells you to do. I'm telling you, He'll help you do it. People will be blessed if you'll do it. And uh, you know what? If you came here and you just said, Ronnie, I just admitted to Him I've done wrong, you need to walk in understanding that things are going to get better. I really believe that things are going to get better. I want you to enjoy that and expect that. Have a great, great, great week. I pray in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.